You're listening to the Relationship-Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. On today's episode, I'm interviewing Dr. Rachel George. Dr. George is the proud principal of Sandy Grade School in Sandy, Oregon. She is a practicing principal, author, speaker, adjunct professor, and advocate for education. She currently serves as the NAESP State Representative for Oregon, is an NAESP Fellow, and is the COSA President-Elect. And she has currently co-authored a book called Principled. You're going to need to check this one out. I can't wait for you to hear the exciting conversation that surrounds leadership, relationships, and everything in between. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I am super pumped today to have Rachel on the show. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Hey, thanks to be. Thank, great to be here. I can't even get my words out this morning. Absolutely. I know. Get that coffee in you, but that's all right. So, hey, just like every episode, we always start off with the GTKY Flip Five, where I ask you five questions, you flip five back at me, and we kind of jump in to the connections before content, just like we do in the classroom. So Rachel, I just got five simple questions for you. Number one, what job would you be terrible at? You really have me stumped. Um, I'm going to go flight attendant because I can't keep my stuff together. (laughs) And I probably would not be good at navigating people towards exits in an emergency. Or or saying that, how good they are, like saying that just off the cuff. I mean, Mm -hmm. that whole recording. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think that's probably one to me. What is something that takes up a lot of your time that you wish didn't? Could be a part of your day, could be a task. You know what? I actually don't have anything that takes up my time that I don't appreciate or value because I think I've deleted a lot of those. Amen to that. Wow. Kudos, kudos, (laughs) kudos. Oh my goodness. Good dude. All right. What's the best way to start your day? You know, they always say you win the day by start your day. What's your best way to start your day, Rachel? Yes. Working out, morning coffee, and that reflection. Big fan of the Miracle Morning. Okay, sweet. All right. Kind of a, a, a fun one here. If you could create a, your own streaming channel, you get to create it, Rachel, your own streaming channel, right? Mm-hmm. What would you stream on it? What would you put? Uh, what's Rachel's favorite? Yeah. What's going to be streaming? What are we streaming? We're going to do, it's going to be like, you know, highlight football clips, but it's not going to be football clips. It's going to be like amazing teacher moves, principal moves, kid action to just amazing music. I don't know what it is about those montages, but they just get me like fired up and excited. So I'd I'd throw that in. Educator highlights. I like Mm -hmm. it. Absolutely. All right. Last question. What's the last thing you did that you would just say you did that was just for the fun of it? What's the last thing you did was just fun? (laughs) Ate a (laughs) fruitcake. I love hey. eating, but I don't oh, know. I like fruitcake. So it's past Christmas, but I saw it in the store at a specialty shop just for kicks. Bought it. I think I ate half of it within an hour. That definitely, I think, falls under the category of fun. <laughs> definitely mm-hmm. with fruitcake. Right? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Made me happy. I enjoyed it. Well, see, and you're one of those rare people that like fruitcake because I, I think people you either do or you don't, right? 
And yeah. so, yeah, it's one of those things. And so love that. Hey, I always ask a bonus question. This one always is selfish for me. If you could host my podcast, Rachel, who would be a great guest to have on the Relationship Centered Learning Podcast? Mm, Andy Jacks, hands down. Okay. Have you met Andy? I have not. Phenomenal. Amazing, amazing. He's right up your alley with relationships, like unique ways to discipline and support students and actually shifting away from expulsions and suspensions. You're going to have to make a little uh, e- invite, email invite yes. or something and so we can get him on the show. Thanks. I, I do that for very selfish reasons. For that reason right there, I want to find good guests. All right, yeah, Rachel, that was my it. five. You get flip five back at me. All right. What's your favorite book? I'm a bookie. Oh, my favorite book right now, I am Atomic Habits right now. James Clear is what I'm reading right now. We were doing that one of our men's education group. And so I would just go with, that's the one that's like opened up on my desk right now. Really working hard through that. Yes, ma'am. Powerful book too. Absolutely. Okay. So what's your one word for 2021? We're moving forward with the year. Oh, believe. Just you, you believe. B-E-L-I-E-V. You know, it's, it's my favorite word in the vocabulary. It's tattooed on my body. It's the only one word that's tattooed on my body. It, it truly is my idea that we have to believe that things are going to turn around. And as you said, I'm ready mm-hmm. for those educator highlights. And I want to reimagine what 2021 can look like. And, and so I'm super mm-hmm. pumped about this opportunity. Awesome. Good stuff. So what is one thing you want to get better at as you head into the new year? I want to get better at time management. One thing that I have realized is when I left the class, you know, I left the campus and you become self-employed. I tried to explain this to my daughter when she wanted to leave her job and she wanted to go to online streaming. I said, you know, it takes a lot of self-discipline, you know, and, and working from home is not always the easiest. And so believe it or not, what I started realizing about myself, Rachel, is, is I'm better if I actually go uh, leave my house and like work in a space. And so I'm actually considering just renting an office space, not for a write-off, not for anything else, but it will give me in that dedicated space because when I'm at home, it's easy to go, oh my God, there's my dogs or, oh my God, there's, the, you know, I could, mm-hmm. I get, I get distracted very easily when, and, and, and it, it's not that I'm not motivated. It's just so many things I can, I can make many excuses to get in the way. Makes total sense. All right. This is a creative one. If you could be any animal in the world, what would you be? Oh, a lion. Really? Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of hard to see, but uh, I don't know. I got to get through the camera. Got a lion on there? Yeah, yeah, Yes, yeah, yeah. I can see. Yeah, nice. yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, uh, biblical, but at the same time, majestic, uh, just amazing creatures. But yeah, animal. Uh, awesome. Sorry, lion. I'm following. You're good. Yes. I need some <laughs> coffee right. now. I know, right? We both do. Okay, here's your next one and your final one. Would you rather play inside on a sunny day or outside on a rainy day? Outside. I, I, I want to be outside as much as I can. You know, your background brings, I love being outdoors. Anything I can do outdoors, hunting, fishing, walking, hiking, sightseeing, whatever it is, I will take outdoors over indoors any time of the week. Love that. Awesome. All right. So, hey, guys, that was our flip five section. Um, If you want to know more about GTKY questions or know more about connecting with us, just head over to the website at RCLFIRST. That's RCLFIRST.com. You can click on the links to either get the 28 GTKY questions or you can join our weekly circles with Denise on Mondays, Thursdays, and Saturday mornings. All right. That's out of the way. All right, Rachel, I am pumped to get to know you more than what I do through social media and just kind of Mm -hmm. watching the highlight reel of 
of you. So introduce, just do a quick intro of who you are and what you're, do, what you're up to right now. My name is Rachel George. I'm an elementary principal in the state of Oregon, bottom of this mountain. It's just 15 minutes from my front door to the ski lift, which is fantastic. This is in the summertime, obviously. Before that, I was a middle school principal, uh, taught at all levels, started at the high school level, went down to elementary, settled at the middle school. It was kind of like the Goldilocks effect, trying to find your right fit. Prior to entering into education, I worked through the Forest Service, uh, fought fire on helicopters, hotshot crews, engines, you name it, worked in the woods putting out fires, ended up going into the classroom and into education to put out fires, but really ultimately wanted to make a bigger difference in the world and wanted to make a bigger splash and realize that it started with kids. So I kind of shifted gears. Yeah. My last day was actually um, just a couple days before I reported for my first principalship. So even as a teacher, I still worked summers out in the woods and it was a really good balance using my mind for half the year and then not having to worry about it and just kind of zone out and not take showers for two weeks and (laughs) super dirty and (laughs) just think fire. So really nice scene and yang. We just recently, myself and two co-authors launched um, our first book, Principal Ed, and you can't see that because my green screen. It's Principal Ed Navigating the Leadership Learning Curve. And it's not just for principals, it's for educational leaders or leaders outside the classroom or even outside of education. We talk about some really great nuggets to really help you lead with your best self and also with the realization that it's really hard to be in education and it's also hard to be an educational leader and that you're not alone and they're better together. What was the bubbling effect of like why you guys felt compelled to put this into like a book form versus conversations that you guys had? Yeah, we all met through our state association. We're like an umbrella group with all of our administrators in Oregon. And the more we started to talk, because we were all on the board at the same time, we realized that we had a lot of commonalities and that we were really pretty different. We strongly believed all three of us that you could have really strong, vibrant school cultures, but you could also have extremely awesome student outcomes and they weren't opposed to each other. It wasn't one or the other, but you could really do both. And that's a really unique concept that oftentimes folks don't really realize. And so we started having at all three of our schools, a lot of folks come visit, do tours, and they're like, what's your secret? What's going on? Because we were putting up some incredible outcomes and we had some awesome school culture going on. And as we were visiting after the principal's conference one year, you know, we were sitting around after the afternoon session and we're like, man, we have people coming to our schools. We're presenting on this stuff. We should really put in a, put it in a book. And at the time we just, we actually probably thought it was really far-fetched. So we kind of pitched the idea to David Shelley Burgess and they were interested and we thought, okay, you, know, you never know. We'll put a sample chapter together. We'll see what happens. It's kind of, um, vulnerable, right? Like a vulnerable experience, putting yourself out there, whether someone would like your material or not, you're kind of bearing your soul. And they ended up being interested and we were just flabbergasted and very, very thankful. And it's done really, really well. But the hope is that, you know, we believe that great outcomes are possible, great relationships are possible, and that you can do all those pieces with intentionality and really help lift students up and lift staff up in the same, same breath. And that's not something that folks do across the nation all the time. You know, it seems like sometimes leaders are either really super good at relationships and culture or they're really strong on outcomes, but to be able to merge the two together, it's possible. And we really wanted to share that with others. That's interesting because that's kind of what, when I was talking about um, how restorative discipline practices happen, same thing. Hey, we were having all of these schools come to visit us because we were the first campus in Texas to pilot this, Mm -hmm. the same experience. And before you know it, I had met this group of 
police officers, TEA, teachers, other people that were trying this out. And we were like, why don't we put all these experiences in the book? Same situation. So, mm-hmm. so when you look at it, I'm encouraged. As I said, I've ordered the book. I can't wait to read it. So when you say when they were coming to look for the secret in the sauce, could you give us some, just a highlight of some ingredients that would go into that sauce? Yeah. It starts and ends with relationships, relationships with your staff, relationships with students. And it then comes from a strength-based approach. I think sometimes it's really easy as individuals to focus on the negative, right? Or the deficits. And we really have to flip that. We have to flip it when we're supporting staff, when we're supporting students, and then really infusing love within our climate and within all of our actions that we do. You couple that though with high expectations and it comes from a lens of that when you truly love someone, you know, and you really, really care about them, you want the best for them. And that comes through high expectations, through behavior standards, academic standards. And, you know, as I think back to the teachers that made a huge difference in my life, yes, they were caring. Yes, they were supportive, but they also had high expectations of me as an individual in all factors and facets of my life. And that's something that we believe makes a really big difference when it comes to students. Absolutely. Because as you say that, um, I start to reflect exactly what you were talking about in the dynamics surrounding all of those impactful teachers for me. They definitely had high expectations for me. In in if I didn't perform academically or socially, they were disappointed in me. You know, mm-hmm. they they let me know that, but they did it in a way because they always knew, you know, they loved and cared about me and you never got away from yeah. that no matter how bad you screwed up, they, they never got away from that feeling of, you know, it's okay. It's okay that you did that, but here's what I want you to learn from this. Or here's why, here's why it disappointed me, Kevin, that you made these choices because I see so much more in you. Mm -hmm. And so again, when you say that, that's why I try to tell people why I became an educator, because I grew up in a, I grew up in a family and not my parents of drugs, alcohol, and addiction, and where my brothers and sisters, not brothers and sisters, primarily my brother's but I, I was introduced to drugs at a very early age, Rachel. So like nine years old, I was smoking marijuana. At 12 years old, I, would, I was experimenting with cocaine. And so it was all of these things because of my siblings. But it was educators that poured mm-hmm. what you just described, that combination of that sauce that really put those high expectations around me, but put a package of love and care and compassion and grace into those things. And so when you describe that, I could easily see why that classroom, or if a campus in, is, is built on that foundation, how it's hard to not be successful. Totally agree. So when you think about campus, I always start with you real quick. Let's start with campus connections. And when I say campus connections, I'm talking about adults. Like how, you know, I always say this, we, we, had a, we have a conference every year and our last conference before it was canceled because of the pandemic, we brought a hundred students to the conference and it was the student-centered conference, a student connection conference because every student wants to feel valued, seen, and heard. And that's, we put on the shirt, value me, see me, hear me. But the same thing happens with teachers. Wouldn't you agree? Every teacher wants to feel valued, seen, and heard. I mean, and so how do you as a leader, what are some strategies or ideas of how making, how do we make teachers feel valued, seen, and heard in such a difficult job? What are some ideas and strategies or thoughts on your perspective mm-hmm. in leadership to make that happen? No, great question. So I have stolen a Monday check-in from Allison Espy. She does a fantastic check-in, just like you do with your students, but she does it with her staff. And so it's asking how you're doing, how I can help, what are things that you have questions about, what are things that you need, what are some celebrations, and then also what are some struggles. Implemented that back in the shutdown in the spring, and that 
has been a huge game changer. I've been able to connect individually with staff, give them the opportunity to really reach out. Because let's be honest, as individuals, sometimes we're hesitant to ask for help or we don't want to burden the other person on the other end. Even when you know that they want to help, you just don't want to burden them and put them out. So being able to have that open forum and avenue has been huge. Let's see, another option that we have really have utilized is shifting to a how are you doing approach. <laughs> Coming from the secondary level, used to be very business oriented and very, very direct. And elementary, which you know from being at that level too, is kind of a different a different beast, right? In a different age level with kiddos. And so I have really tried to shift my practice instead of just hopping in or doing just an icebreaker to really just have an open form of like, Hey, how are you doing? Like, Hey, Kevin, how are you doing this morning? How was your surgery? You know, instead of just like, Hey, ready to go, let let's hop into business. And I think that that makes a really huge difference because it provides an opportunity to be seen, to be heard, to be able to check in and have an honest conversation And also I think it comes with practice, right? Like you have to build that trust, that vulnerability, that authenticity with your staff and with your parents, that it's okay to share those moments when you're struggling and that it's going to be safe. It's not going to be used against you and it's going to be used to help and lift and support you in how you need. So we've been really working on those the last couple of years. No, that's awesome. Well, I mean, what you're illustrating is one of our hashtags and and we don't own it by any means, but it's about the connections before content. I mean, Mm -hmm. you just said, hey, instead of going right into the business, why don't we ask a simple, simple question of just how are you, right? Which is why we talk about GTKY, just get to know you questions or just that. It is simply, it could be a check-in, check-up or a check-out, but it's just a simple way that before we dive into today's business, whatever that is, and as you said, I, you know, I taught integrated physics, biology, and chemistry for 10 years, so I've definitely learned the business part of secondary education. But I, I did value when I went down to the elementary it was such a, a swing in the pendulum of like, holy cow, this is like, there's love and hugs and knee hugs and high fives and lots of positivity and conversations. And, and then like you said, then, you know, kind of going in the middle. And now I will be very honest, Rachel, the middle school was my, and I'm just going to be honest, was my least favorite of the three. So, so when you say it was a sweet that spot. That was my favorite. <laughs> no, I know, no, no. That's why I said, but hey, to each their own. Um, And and I will tell you why I struggled with it. I think as I reflect and through a couple podcasts and conversations with other educators, I think I struggled because unfortunately, it was my point of view. I think I struggled because I went into the middle school thinking, I don't think I had the right mindset of how to interact with these kids. I treated them sometimes as if they were high school and -hmm. sometimes as if they were elementary. And I did, I don't think I, I really gave, gave middle school its own identity into, into how to really interact with him, you know? And so like when Dave Schmidt was talking about, like, he's just a big middle school kid. And, you know, I said, Dave, I, I found my, I would do that. Everything he described, he did at the middle school. I said, well, Dave, I did that at the elementary. And he's like, Kevin, but why, you know, they're just bigger elementary kids. And I said, yeah, I see that for the sixth graders, but seventh and eighth grader, you know, particularly eighth graders, they're almost high school. And so I think I, as I reflect and I'm, I'm owning it, I think I was the most uncomfortable at the middle school. Therefore, it was my mm. least favorite because I couldn't figure out my own identity of who I needed to be with the, the merging of those three grade levels. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. Totally does. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when you look at the middle school, I think, again, I had to learn so much about myself. I had to learn about, again, now you have a mixture of teachers. And again, this is my experience. So I try never to offend anyone, 
But, you know, like sixth grade teachers, and, I, and I'm using middle school in my terms as sixth, seventh, and eighth grade combined, okay? But like sixth grade teachers typically to me are like an extension of elementary teachers, where eighth grade teachers may be, a, a, you know, an extension of high school-minded teachers. And so you have this mixture of accountability and getting college, you know, high school prepared, which gives them college prepared. And then you have the other end of like grace and love and comfort and kind and you know and it's a mixture of these worlds all in there and you're trying to support them all at the same time so kudos for you to find like goldilocks landing in middle school so what were yeah. some secrets that helped you be successful at the middle school level having fun having fun would probably be my number one and i think that you just need to be authentic in who you are and just own it you know middle school i loved middle school as a student liked it better than high school I'm not sure why I think the mean girls came out more in high school. And so I think that's probably why I felt more comfortable and I didn't care what they thought. So I would just be goofy and ham it up and they'd like it or they won't and, um, and was fine with it. So I think you just got to own who you are and just do you. I think that that's a, a great start. The second thing that really, really helped is that I think you need to know your players. I think that you have some great awareness with how you look at sixth grade and how you look at eighth grade. And that's totally good. And you know who they are. You put the teachers in their, in their strengths in the right spot at the right grade level based off of what they're really, really good at. Because sometimes we have eighth grade teachers that are still maybe like sixth grade teachers that need to be shuffled to a different grade level because they're much more coddling and, you know, elementary like, but I would also encourage you to think that some of the great strategies at elementary school are still very applicable at middle school. Like great teaching is great teaching. I have a teacher in mind that was phenomenal at running stations in an eighth grade language arts class stations. Yeah. She I, killed it. It was awesome. I know. And see, but that's, what's interesting. The more I got out of, you know, like you said, the more macro view you got and you got to mm -hmm. see different now that I see different campuses and now that I get to see different teachers at so many different levels. Now I get to see that. Unfortunately in my blinders and in my box, you know, I was a middle school principal at a small rural school. And that was my first middle school experience for two years. Mm -hmm. And then moving to the larger middle school in San Antonio, where we piloted the restorative practices, like those were, those were my two bubbles and really only got to compare. But then I started noticing as I started growing and started seeing different school districts in different sizes and seeing, as you're saying, some of the strategies that may be deemed elementary-like, as you said, stations or rotations, well, I was, I was a science teacher. I can think back of how many times we rotated around maybe something in the science lab and use some of those strategies, even with our freshmen and sophomores, mm -hmm. and how successful that was for having kids up and moving and, and engagement and those types of things. So I'm with you. I really started to see how to tap into those strengths and how some of those strategies could be taken outside the box. Because the one thing I think that I've learned and I've appreciated it about education as much as as much as I love the framework of, and I use this as the box of education, I love being outside the box. I love doing something that doesn't necessarily fit in the norm of that grade level or that campus mm -hmm. or that. And to me, when you stand out, yeah, I think sometimes it could be a positive or a negative, but that was one of the reasons it pushed me further out of education was I wanted to get outside the box because I just felt like I couldn't be who I needed to be, as you said. And I think that's interesting because you having me actually reflecting today for the first time about my experience. And I don't think I let myself be the goofy, fun guy that I was at the elementary because for whatever reason, I came to a high, 
a high discipline type of, of middle school campus where it was more about discipline and more about you can't show them your fun and you know mm-hmm. goofy and all that other stuff. You got to be the disciplinarian. And I think from that get go, I think that shaped me and it put me on that trajectory for five years. And I don't think I really took time to reflect, or if I did get off of it, it was very briefly, and then I had to get right back into it. And I always talk about that because I think sometimes, and I tell teachers, do not get offended by this, but working for kids is much easier sometimes than working for the adults. You ever experienced something like that? And I'm not trying to put you in a box, but, or put you in a- No, we totally agree, right? Yeah, that that tends to be where I mess it up the most. I, I think I could nail it with the kids. If I mess up, I feel like I can redeem myself. But sometimes it's the adults that I struggle with. And, you know, I own my part. And I also think that as leaders, we sometimes harm teachers and then we cause almost like a PTSD impact. So when you're in that principalship or that leadership role, you got to own and understand that the way they're responding maybe doesn't have to do with you, but it has to do with two principals ago that really threw them under the bus for something that you say that you really support or that you have their back for. And I mean, I guess that that's the same as kids too. You know, kids have a lot of different things that they bring in their backpack that we can't see. No, yeah, actually, that's a really good connection that you had me reflecting on. Teachers and adults and staff have the same thing. And I think that I know that I forget that at times. And then I speed forward and then can't understand why you get the response you do or the reaction or maybe the emotion or the nonverbal cues. So Absolutely. So let's let's flip over to to the kids. I call classroom connections. So when you look at the strength of building connections, I don't think there's many educators out there that will argue that building strong connections with kids definitely makes a difference in classroom management, engagement, student performance and outcomes. I mean, it, it, it realistically, if you weave it into the fabric of what your classroom is like, it can be a really, really strong, as you said, ingredient in your sauce. Mm-hmm. And so what are some of your ideas or strategies or some of your thoughts when when we talk about making connections with the kids? Where are you at on that? I have a strong belief and I'm very fortunate that my district has the same one, is that social emotional community building isn't an isolation to academic skills, so that they really have to be interwoven together. They have to be throughout the whole day. We talk, it's actually an interview question about which one's more important, uh, social emotional or academics. And really the answer is that they're both important and that they're done together. And it's interesting when folks come in and say, no, it's only community building. We're like, hey, back up a second. When you create your lesson plan, do you start with community building or do you start with, what do you start with? And most of them always say the, the learning target or the standard. And so using that backwards design, you know, you can get at your really strong why and putting the two together. And there was a time in my career where it wasn't focused on the community building in the classroom. You know, I wanted teachers to get in, teach the content, go bell to bell, right? Let's take it all out. And it wasn't until we realized, okay, we have some good scores, but we're missing something and you can just feel it. And how do we put our finger on it? And it came down to the community building. And that was really where that question of which one's more important and how do they actually intertwine together really, really came to be. Now, if you were to walk into the classrooms, we're still virtual, but you still see it in the virtual setting. You know, they're starting and ending with community building and with creating connections. It's interwoven throughout our instructional strategies. Our entire building, we have a a pretty young staff, but all of them have been trained and they work with Kagan a lot with those active engagement strategies, which are solely focused on that student-to-student connection and help empowering them. But you got to know, we didn't start with using academics at first. Those were all structures that we utilized with community building and building that, that safety net that safe space and the connections from student to student. 
and the high ex- academic expectations from the teachers are all interwoven throughout there. And it, let me tell you, it, it's incredibly powerful, more than powerful. That's probably been one of the blessings of 2020 is we've had some new staff and Kagan put all their stuff online <laughs> for a lot cheaper rate and we didn't have to travel. So we've been able to get some folks some additional instruction and PD on that. But that's, that's been a big game changer for us, just trying to really infuse the academics and the social emotional Absolutely. I, you know, I, I believe that prior to the pandemic, I believe that we all, as I just mentioned, felt the importance and the value of relationships and connections where kids was high. Um, mm-hmm. As you said, ranking it or, or putting it, competing with academics, it, it, it's, it's always, like you said, it's either one, two, or it's combined or whatever it is. But it, what's interesting is I look at it as I listen and reflect through the pandemic, it seems that that message of man, connections are more important than ever, right? So, uh, you know, am I happy about that it took a pandemic to make that happen? (laughs) No, but I am glad that we're, that for those that were a little bit reluctant or Mm -hmm. we're seeing it maybe on the flip side or starting to see it different. So there is a blessing out of, you know, out of this, out of 2020. So, So let me ask you this question. When you start to introduce this concept as you're describing to your new teachers or anyone else, have you ever heard, and again, just in reflecting, have you ever heard when they say, I don't have time for that? Oh, yeah. And I've said it myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so what are our response? I, I know I have many, but that's tob- probably the number one, you know, obstacle when they always talk about building connections and building community, mm-hmm. you know, while I'm teaching, how do I have time for that? Mm-hmm. So what are some of the ways that you've been able to navigate through those waters when dealing with real life situations with teachers? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's shifting your perspective, right? When you say you don't have time for it, it's because you're looking for a block in your schedule, right? Give me my 20 minutes, give me my 30 minutes. And that's, that's the flaw in the thinking is that it's compartmentalized and it's completely separate. Should you have a time designated for it? Sure. But it doesn't need to be a super, super long time. But the difference is that then it needs to continue throughout your entire day. How do you approach your instruction? How do you approach like your story problems? Are you infusing their interests? Are you infusing their names with their work? Are you using their names? Are you making those connections and having conversations as you're moving around the room or the breakout room? Hey, Kevin, how was your weekend? How are you doing? Hey, were you giving specific feedback and praise that's customized to their learning style or what motivates them? Those are all things that we can easily do that don't take any additional time. And so I think it's a big shift for folks. It's not separate. It's throughout and realizing that it's really pretty simple. No, I totally agree with you. And, and, you know, there's two, there's two paths on that one. I wish that we could find a way to get that integrated prior to them coming to us. You know, when new teachers are going to college and new teachers are going to preparation or, you know, alternative certification, however it is, I wish we could kind of get that start that ball rolling a little bit, because I think then, as you said, they'll come on, they'll come in with a little bit of different experiences and mindset because they may have some experience in that. Also with that said, I also think that when you look at this, you, as you mentioned, one of the ways that we, as for our organization, had to navigate it is, as you said, it's almost backwards. So I was first introduced to community building through community building circles, right? Mm -hmm. So morning meetings, community building circles. And that was how I was introduced to restorative. We'll just, whatever you want to put at the end of that, restorative justice, restorative practices. We had it called restorative discipline. But the restorative model that I was introduced was all about community building in a circle. And so when I first started training, that was all I knew. I, I didn't know anything else. I trained community building circles. We did talking pieces. We did center pieces. We did value rounds. We did all these things. 
but what I started to notice as I started to grow in this model and started to train more and more educators, for me, where I saw it, I saw the, the, the curve dropping on success, Rachel was, was circle was becoming overwhelming for some teachers. Because what I started to notice was, well, wait a minute, I've actually been training it since 2012. I've done hundreds and hundreds of them at this point, thousands now. I know how to navigate when a student blurts out. I know how to navigate when a question comes up that's maybe off topic or out of bounds. I do this because I've been practicing for so long. So how were we adequately training a teacher how to build community in the circle process in three hours or even six hours, right? And so one of the ways that really, I think for me, shook our business, but it really shook, and this is, I'm being very vulnerable here, shook how people viewed me in the restorative world is, is I flipped my model upside down and I was slow to circle now instead of first to circle. And I got a lot of backlash from a lot of the restorative community because they're like, you're anti-circle. And I said, no, I'm not anti-circle. I'm slow to circle. And let me tell you why. I came up with this term called circle syndrome. Very many schools that would go in that were attempting, I'm going to use that word, attempting Mm -hmm. after a training, reading a book, whatever it was, was attempting circles, but yet that some teachers were excelling at it, but that was a small population. Some teachers weren't doing it at all. And then there's that 80%, 70 to 80% in the middle, the bell curve Mm -hmm. that are like, I'm trying, but it's just not working. And, you know, we haven't had enough training and experience. I don't know what questions I'm trying to figure. There's so many things that get in the way of it. It's And let's own it. I call it the elephant of restorative practices. It takes up more physical space. It takes up more time, more preparation. And for teachers, those are things that are work against what a Mm -hmm. teacher already has on their plate. Which is why we flipped it and we almost Russian dolled it. I call it crawl, walk, run for an exercise person. So what we did is, is we created as a crawl, a 60 second relate break, which is just a turn and talk next to your neighbors for 60 seconds about a prompt or a topic or something that's school appropriate. And then the teacher walks around and eavesdrops on the students for 60 seconds. The teacher does not talk. The teacher only listens for 60 seconds. When the timer goes off, then the teacher shares And then ultimately, we created the outcome of what we call cross-connect, which is we make sure all of our tools accomplish three things, student-to-student connection, student-to-teacher, and teacher-to-student. So that's our Mm cross-connect. Well, then we built a two-minute connection, which is really one round a circle, because what we realize is is we want to scaffold teachers to be successful in this. So we have 60-second relay breaks. A stand and share is really one round a circle standing, and it's just a two-minute connection, and then we bring circle. And so what we started to see was our success rate started to grow in community building because why did we choose the 60-second relate break? Why did we choose the two-minute connection? And then we added a third one, which has nothing to do with sharing. It's actually a positive interaction because as I was listening to part of the uh, sauce of your book, you talked about Mm -hmm. that positivity, right? Mm -hmm. So we created a 90-second spark. And so we said, if you implement this in the first 90 seconds of class, you're going to get the most bang for your buck. And it takes easily less than 90 seconds. So our big three is a 60 second relay break, a two minute connection and 90 second spark plan. So think about this, Rachel, when you hear that as an educator, and I know you've never been to any of our trainings or in our curriculum, think about the time that we put in front of those tools. How do you feel like teachers could digest that as they're just listening to a quick explanation that what would be your first impressions as educators would digest that as teachers? I like that it's quick. I like that there's options that you can scale up or scale down. And it sounds like it has structure, but it also has some loose components in it, right? So it gives me a sense of choice, 
within it. As you were talking through, um, I had to like hold myself back from wanting to go to your website, even though I have it up in another screen, because I was looking at those this morning. And I think that they're fantastic, which led me down the road of, which I need to be careful about, like, how could my staff utilize these? And I think to be careful with is that there's a lot on people's plates. And so how can you help support a need if it is a need right within your building and for your staff without it being overwhelming, intimidating, and being a huge time suck. And I think that that's probably where that fits in really nicely with what you guys are doing. And I honestly, I'm, I'm not bragging what I was introducing. The concept was, was the fact that we were seeing time, time, mm-hmm. time, time, time. And so, and all I could tell them is, well, circles an investment, you know, the more you yeah. put into it, the more, you know, you can spin it any way that you want. Right. But ultimately, I think when, when Dave Schmidto was on the podcast, and I think one huge, huge gold nugget I got from him was he said, Kevin, if you put something on a teacher's plate, make sure you identify what's coming off. Completely. Right. Completely. But, but no, and I think I yeah. had, I think in my mind, I had talked through that, Rachel, but he said, Kevin, mm-hmm. you're going into districts that have MTSS and they have all these things, you know, on their plates. He said, if you don't explain to their educators you're putting this tool, I don't care if it's 60 seconds, two minutes, or 90 seconds, if you're putting it on their plate, what are you taking off so that they have the time and the ability to make sure that that gets, and and he said, if you're not literal, think of it as a scale. You just Mm -hmm. put something on the other scale, and if you don't take something off, and I, I took that to heart because, unfortunately, I've been very guilty of that, you know, bringing in our tools and not making sure that the campus leader is giving them the time and the permission to be able to do that. And as you just mentioned, one of the best ways that we have seen campuses do this on their own by going to the website or that we've trained is starting with their staff, like doing the 60 seconds and the two minutes and the 90 seconds at their staff meetings, mm-hmm. because then they, they get to see how it it's structured. Yes, all of them are structured, organized, and timed with a specific outcome, but they're all GTKY based. So there isn't, we're not lesson based. So the one thing that I try to stand out in this whole educational space is, is I say, build your school on a rock of relationships, not the sands of initiatives, because lesson-based curriculums blend relationships. They do, but GTKY questions, they build relationships. Mm-hmm. And so for us, all you need is a question and a timer and you can like get after it. If you can understand just how to facilitate and, and, what, and what the outcome is of what you're expected, which is student to student connection, mm-hmm. student to teacher and teacher to student. So that's why I brought it to the forefront because it just felt there was a, n- a nice segue of saying, when it comes to time, I think if we could help our teachers not just recognize the importance of doing it, but how to do it. And I think that's the biggest gap. Oh, hands down. Completely agree about taking things off. I would push it even further that you need to be explicit about what you're giving them permission to take off the plate. Because mm. if you just say, hey, take some stuff off, that that's really hard, right? Because you're all of a sudden assuming that they know what the priorities are in the initiatives. So, hey, trade this in for that. <laughs> We're leveling it, you're leveling it up. We're trading in the Honda Civic for an SUV. Here's the plan. And then with that, I think that it's, speaking from experience, sometimes it's very vulnerable as a leader to go in and model something that's brand new especially when it comes to maybe social, emotional, or relationships, if that's an area that you struggle with, Mm -hmm. or if you're brand new to a building or to a leadership team. And when we skip that, we're missing out on on a ton. So think about how many professional developments you've sat in as a teacher, or even that you facilitated as a leader, where it's a sit and get. You're going through your PowerPoint and you're talking, right? 
and you're thinking, I know that this isn't how I teach in the classroom. This isn't how I want my teachers to teach, but I'm crunched on time. This is the way I teach. This is the way I do it. I'm just going to power through. Shame on us, right? Because right. as soon as, and I, and I noticed this, I noticed this with community building, with instructional practices. As soon as I put myself out there and started modeling it, huge feedback from teachers, which I was, I appreciated, right? Because you always don't necessarily hear the positive things. You sometimes hear the negative ones or things to fix but had a lot of thank yous. Hey, I really appreciated you modeling this and showing this. Now mm-hmm. it made a lot of sense. You've been talking about this, but now I got to see it in action and I, I can do that. Absolutely. I'm able to replicate that, but not everyone is someone that can read a book or listen to a podcast or just go to a session and, and understand and be able to pick it up. We have to infuse it in everything. And I think the, the easy access point is for you to just integrate it as a leader into your daily practice. And you'll be amazed because you don't need to have a building initiative. You don't need to have a building training, but just you infusing it people will pick up those best practices and they'll start doing it in their classroom or they'll start doing it with, you know, whatever club group or organization they have. And that's inspiring, right? No, when you see that in action, oh my Mm -hmm. God. And I always say this phrase is called power and permission. And I think I failed to recognize it when I was actually leading a campus until I started leading this, because I, what I started to notice is, and this is, you know, I know there are principles out there, unfortunately, that I've ran into this, Rachel, is, is they're great with me. Oh, Kevin, I love this. My teachers are going to love this, blah, blah. And then I come back and coach and they're like, he doesn't support this. You know, he doesn't even talk about it, you know, and I'm just being real. And yeah. so what I started saying is, is I started recognizing and saying, listen, if you want me in my organization to bring these, we're not a, a, a check the box and done kind of, like at the beginning, I'll be honest, I needed money. I was like, yeah, whatever you need me to do. But mm-hmm. then I started realizing that I wanted to bring value and I didn't want to make money. I want to make a difference. So I, if I see you one time, I'm not dumb. Whatever you got out of that today, I was a filler. You know, I was just enough on your plate. So I started telling them, I said, look, if we're going to come to your campus and I would tell you as Rachel, like, hey, Rachel, for coming, here's what I need from you. Before you introduce us, I need you to give them permission at the beginning and at the end to say, hey, this is why we brought Kevin and this group in. And here's why. And then at the end, I need you to say, I give you permission to utilize these tools and expectation and permission because power and permission, when you say it's okay to do this, unfortunately, I think it's, we, we sometimes think it was inferred. You know, of course, oh, I, yeah. I, of course, I, I wouldn't have why spent else this would I bring money. him in. <laughs> yeah. Why would I spend this money and do this? And But I think it's so important when you specifically say, I give you permission to utilize these relationship building techniques and tools, whatever you, you know, whatever you want to frame it around and how you do it. And when you do it is going to be up to you, but there is an expectation, but just know I give you permission so that you do. And I always said this power and permission just comes because the more the staff, then they kind of exhale a little bit, like. Okay, Rachel said it's okay. Because when I was doing this on the campus, if I walked in, the teachers were very apprehensive. If I walked in with my laptop and let's say it was going to be an academic walkthrough, right? If I walked in and I said, hey, if you're doing community building and I walked in, then we came up with a new phrase. If I, if you're in the classroom, you're in the community. So if I walked in, I had to participate. I set the laptop to the side. If we were in circle, you're in circle. So I just joined them. The more as you said, the more time they trusted and said, okay, he wasn't full of it. He actually is doing that. Then the more they started to believe in me, trust in me, mm-hmm. and then they could believe that I wasn't out to get them in this. And that it was something that I really wholeheartedly believed in. Have you ever oh, had any sure. experiences in that? 
No, completely. And I think with that, we have to give them permission to fail, right? When they're oh, trying yes. these new strategies, yes. it's going to be messy and that's great. And that's something to celebrate. Super proud that you're jumping in. Super proud that you tried this. Hey, and you responded fantastic when somebody totally had to go sideways. And <laughs> it's funny because they get really uncomfortable because, oh, it wasn't perfect. And it was like, it doesn't have to be perfect. You responded perfectly for how that situation rolled and life is not perfect. I mean, it's huge. And so when you're talking about coming in with a computer and you're looking for an academic observation and, you know, they're doing community building, you know, I'd encourage us to really think, how come you can't do an observation on that? That's solid instructional practice right there. And so Absolutely. it doesn't, I mean, well, great case in point, right? Like, how are you building community? How are you building relationships? And it gives them a chance to really celebrate the work that they're doing because it's not all about academics. It is a blend of the two. And we need to make sure we honor that because if we only focus our observations on instructional practices and the standards, academic standards, right. we're missing a whole other aspect of what teachers do. And it's probably one of the most important. Absolutely. Well said. Wow. All right, Rachel, we're going to have to wrap this one up. What I want to get from you is any closing words, anything that's in Rachel's mind and education right now, just kind of an open mic that you want to kind of just get out there. Seriously, just kind of open my, what's, what's on Rachel's forefront of an education, mm -hmm. right? where your thought is, because, and it can be in the box, outside the box, but share with us Rachel's thoughts and, and where you're at in education or something we should consider. What's something? You know, heading into a new year and looking at 2021, I just would really encourage us not to have a false sense of the finish line. I think that 2021 is going to have some challenges as well. Things aren't going to disappear within that first couple months. And I would really encourage everyone to have grace with yourself, to still continue to have that growth mindset and to focus on the relationships and the connections that you've made or still need to make. You know, we're powerful together. We're stronger together and we can't lift this alone. And if we're going to reimagine education and come out stronger, we need to lean on others. And we also need to be really honest and open with those that are around us, with things that are going well, with things that are struggling. So just really bring that authenticity as you come into the new year. Absolutely. Well said. Wow, man. Well, wow. coffee I kicked in. <laughs> you did. The coffee kicked in. See, now we're talking good. All right. So listen, Rachel, thanks for being on the show. I, I really thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. As, as I've said before, when, before we started recording, I gained so many nuggets of valuable information and experiences from educators, which is why I created the podcast, uh, primarily selfishly for myself, but also for the listeners, because I think these conversations should be valuable if they lead to change, if they lead for you to maybe step forward and write that book that you were thinking about writing that book, whatever it is, I'm just encouraging educators to, to, stay, to continue to take that step forward in 2021, as you said. But I'm also with you. I don't want that, that false sense of the finish line. And I want us to make sure that we're leaning in and lean on each other. So, mm -hmm. hey, Rachel, let, thank you for letting me lean on you this morning. Thanks for being a great guest. Again, I've already ordered the book. I can't wait to. I know it's already up there on Amazon. You guys have, are already already making noise about the book and, and how great it's, of an impact it's going to be. So I'm just honored to have an opportunity to give a shout out for the book for here on, the, on here. We'll put it in the show notes if anybody ever reads those things. But at the end of the day, Rachel, thank you for just being an educator who cares. Like, mm -hmm. like at the end of the day, and for you for continuing to make a difference. And thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. All right, guys. Hey, that was another great episode. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Remember, head over to rclfirst.com if you'd like to connect with us in any form or fashion, and we will connect with you next time.